Sixth episode of Rankin Review. As always, I'm your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. This episode, RNR MVP Lee Beckman returns yet again, and we're going to be discussing Crazy 80s. It's Crazy 80s 2. Are these an even more bizarre bunch of movies than were reviewed by Ashley Pachkowski and I on episode 75? Well, listen to find out. A few words on that. Uh, There was a little bit of technical difficulties during the recording of this interview, which was done over Skype, and it was 100% my fault, it was 100% on my side of it, and uh, I've done my best to course correct, but this interview sounds a little noisy, it sounds a little bit Skypey, and I apologize. That's on me. That's on your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. But as I've said in the past, if I was perfect, I'd be boring. So instead of re-recording the whole episode, I did the best that I could. Please feel free to send me feedback, either on the quality of the sound or on the content of the episode itself. You can do that by sending me an email at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Facebook. You can find the podcast on iTunes. And if you wanted to do me a favor and just tell that other movie fan in your life about the podcast, I'd really appreciate it. Word of mouth does a lot of work. That is it. That is all. Welcome once again to Rank and Review, and welcome once again to the Crazy 80s. Well, welcome one and all to the 96th episode of Rank and Review. Uh, we have uh, R&R MVP, as I'd like to call you, Lee Beckman. I'm so flattered that you've named me MVP. I know, uh, I gave you some hard times about, you know, uh, you keep trying to get a, a championship, and you've done all these episodes and it still hasn't happened, but I would be thrilled if you won. You deserve it after all of this time, but the thing that Larry does not do is cheat. I, I will never cheat for ranking review. And I accept it. It has to be real. You can't give me one of those, what is that Oscar that you give to people that never won, but finally after all these years? Um, They're due Oscar. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I understand. I understand is all I'm saying. This will not be a your uh, your due type of situation. I don't know if we're gonna match or not, but I, for some reason, I've got an okay feeling about this list of movies. Like 
it's crazy 80s once again. We're returning to crazy 80s. And uh, it's a weird mixed bag of mostly sci-fi horror, but a, a one at least straight horror picture. I don't know. I guess I'll bring it up with you. Like, what is it about the 80s? I mean, there is nostalgia. No matter what decade it would be, if you were growing up in that time, you'll have nostalgia associated to it. But the 80s does have this reputation of being, like, super crazy. <laughs> um, and, and what is it about the 80s? Like, does it deserve that reputation? And if so, what is it about the 80s that makes it so specifically recognized for being a lunatic decade. God, how would you describe the 80s? I mean, one of the reasons why I think we love it so is that, you know, you and I both grew up in the 80s. We are a child of the 80s, but we've already talked about that last episode. It seems like a very excessive decade, for, especially for American cinema. Like, you know, this was the decade where, movie, where we had a character said, where greed is good. This yeah. is the Reagan years. Um, and then also the aesthetic of the 80s is just so uniquely very neon and very in a lot of ways and bright colors i don't know <laughs> well like i remember i remember watching the original uh twin peaks and there was yeah. like scenes that were set in the police station and there yeah. were like these huge meeting rooms where the tables just had like towers of donuts i kind of picture that for the studio system except for instead of towers of donuts it was just cocaine <laughs> just <laughs> towers and towers yeah. of cocaine yeah well, I I think the two of the producers that we're going to talk about, at least I'm going to talk about this movie, I think we're uh, doing very much of it and living very much in excess, uh, you know, a life of excess. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was a very, very strange time. I'd like to think that every decade has some, you know, very strange movies, just sort of different. Um, the 80s is just a lot of Cold War, a lot of cocaine. A lot of candy. Well, and that's where I was going with this. There's a paranoia to the 80s, right? Like, the Cold War is just that. It's sort of this escalating, quiet thing, you know? Who's got a better weapon? Who's got a better spy? What's going on behind closed doors that nobody knows? All you have is your imagination to drive you crazy. So you you either, you know, run to that tune... Or you just go deny, 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 and you get your beak down and do a pile of cocaine and you dance, dance, dance. Like, I kind of feel like I was lucky to be too young to really fully embrace this sort of sleaze culture of the 80s. Because I think that if I was born in, like, the earlier 70s instead of the later 70s, I might have turned out a different cat altogether. I do have I do have a great affection for this decade and like I said my guess is the people who listen to this other than people who know you and I are people who either grew up in the same time or who are very very much specific connoisseurs of 80s horror movies and that that's the line that I want to draw between these like are these good movies or are these good 80s movies. (laughs) Because I think I think that there's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Some of them are still good movies. Some of them I think might lose some some context without you know having been through that. Yeah, I, I think being a child of the eighties, or or at least being alive during the eighties, would give you a sort of a sense of understanding, especially some of the humor in these movies. I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. So you picked the list. Why? Why do you? Why did that one jump out for you? Well. Well, I loved. I, I love a lot of the movies uh, on this list. I think that's one thing that, that sort of drew me. I actually own most of these movies as well. 
Um, I had never seen Night of the Demons, so that was another reason why I just sort of, uh, I thought I would I'd choose this movie. Right. Um, but the list itself I, is so juicy in a lot of ways. <laughs> and just There's such a nasty edge to some of these movies, but I don't want to, you know, we'll get there. give away too much well, right now. I also wanted to take this opportunity to publicly thank you, Mr. Beckman. This oh, okay. uh, movie that we're going to be reviewing first, actually, out of the stack, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, was yeah. my Christmas present from Mr. Beckman this year. Oh, you're doing very well. <laughs> you're welcome. You're making me blush. Oh, uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting discussion. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say by way of introduction, or should I list off these movies so we can get her started? I think you should list off the movies and I can, you know, at least do some color commentating. <laughs> Number one, we're going to talk about Buckaroo Banzai. Yes. As the aforementioned. Um, the second movie we're going to talk about, from the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's yes. Revenge, The Hidden, um, from Toby Hooper, director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. and Poltergeist and The Mangler, <laughs> we have Life Force. Yeah. Uh, we have an interesting 80s artifact called Night of the Comet. Yes. We have a, a nostalgic guilty pleasure for Larry called Night of the Demons. Okay. And we're going to wrap this all up with Killer Clowns from Outer Space. President's on line one, calling about is everything okay with the alien space club and planet 10, or should he just go ahead and destroy Russia? Tell him yes on one and no on two. Which was yes, to destroy Russia or uh, the number two? So crazy 80s, crazy 80s, crazy 80s. I love me some crazy 80s. I have uh, like weirdly themed podcast episodes. Like uh, on the Facebook page, you can go and look and see a bunch of proposed episodes, like almost 300 proposed episodes. And I have strangely specific categories. There's mad movies and there's what the fuck movies. And then there's the crazy 80s, which is sort of like a, <laughs> a genre all of itself. If there was a trophy that you could accept for winning an award for a crazy 80s, I mm-hmm. think it should be in the shape of Peter Weller's head. We <laughs> 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 could call it like a bonsai award. <laughs> it's like uh, the weird thing about the, the uh, adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai across the eighth dimension is that it's a calculated crazy movie, which is not typically the kind of crazy movie I like. I kind of like movies that went south by accident. Like, yeah. we were we were making fun of Nightmare on Elm Street 2 in the introduction. Like, yeah. when they set out to make that movie, they didn't know that they were making a hilariously off-key movie. And because <laughs> they didn't know that, it becomes hilarious, right? Yeah. But I think everybody involved in the production of Buckaroo Bonsai knew that this movie was fucking strange. And everybody <laughs> enthusiastically wanted to contribute their little piece of strange to it. Now, how all of this comes yeah. together to work is anybody's yeah. guess. I don't know how you could control this measure of chaos, but yeah. it does work. I don't yeah. know why it works, but it does work. So well, I'm going to... It's a familiar structure of sort of the, the, the sci-fi action films. It's loosely based off the Doc, Sam- the Doc Savage 
uh, comic book uh, sort of film series that was you know alive and well in like the forties and fifties when you know these filmmakers were kids. Those whole serial movies, right? So there's that sort of familiar structure, and that's one way that it works. Um, but I agree with you; <laughs> this movie <laughs> is definitely unique and strange. So uh, I'm going to try and unpack a little bit of plot here. But... Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> so... Before you start, uh, yeah, there's a funny story about, uh, because the advertising people at uh, Fox had watched the movie, and when it was over, they went straight to the filmmaker and they said, okay, um, I just saw your movie. How the hell do you want us to advertise it? And just to look on other faces, apparently was fucking brilliant. So good luck. Okay. I, I wish you well. Peter Weller plays Buckaroo Banzai, a surgeon, philanthropist, rock star, adventurer. Don't forget quantum physicist. Quantum physicist. Well. That, I mean, that's that's an important this one. This whole problem starts as him being sort of in this giant quantum physics experiment. Uh, yeah, we meet him. He gets out of uh, doing a brain surgery with Jeff Goldblum, then hops into a car, drives through a mountain to prove yes. some quantum theory that he has works. And in the... Process. In the process of crossing through the mountain and getting into a different dimension, inadvertently hits an interdimensional being with his car. Um, so his investigation into what the ramifications of his new discovery is part of the plot. The other yes. thing is, is that there's this alien <laughs> played by John Lithgow, who's been yes. waiting for this technology to show up that he might return to his home planet. Yes. And there's other aliens in disguise, played by Christopher Lloyd and Vincent Schiavelli and another guy whose name's escaping me right now, <laughs> who are well, all... all... In, in theory, in, lovingly, in loving theory, all their names sort of start with John. Yeah. That's and of That's course, I, I forgot about the weird slug-faced aliens thing that comes down to help the gang figure right. out. So, yes. yes, that's right. Another spaceship shows up in this movie. There are a lot of balls in the air, and all of them are fucking weird. Yes. And don't forget the whole sort of sub-storyline with the president and his sort of secretary of defense. Right. That's, and yeah. uh, the love story that we get to have between uh, Ellen Bern Barkin's character and Becker. Like, really... This movie is. She might be my favorite character in the whole movie. There's some moments in this where I just start, you know, I'm tripping and I'm laughing. It's hilarious. <laughs> but I've already said too. Much. I've always thought Ellen Barkin was unreasonably sexy. Like she's when she wants to turn on that sort of sultry seductress thing, she could always t t sort of bring it, even in yeah. this sort of severely '80s construct. She was, she was, yes. you know, good for that. I love her character so much in this movie, though. <laughs> I, I really, really do. Um, it, it's such. A wonderfully cute character, and it's nothing to do with her looks. It's just sort of this, this character is very funny and very lovable. Um, anyways, sorry, continue. Well, I think part of what gets me through it, and this surprises me because I've talked shit about Peter Weller in the past, and yeah. that sometimes he kind of reads a little bit flat to me. Yeah. Uh, the flatness kind of comes off as cool. In yeah. in this version of it, and when he does drop a line like "Everybody remember." wherever you go there you are <laughs> right like laughter is the appropriate response but there's like this zen cool that sort of <laughs> is is sort of a, a response to it uh his, it, it might be his greatest character ever maybe not his best performance but one of his best characters ever i don't know i've always been a big peter weller defender i mean this is the man that sort of suffered through robocop 
um, but also managed to get through Naked Lunch and have a great experience. Yeah. Um, to me, he's been in a lot of good movies. I've got a soft spot for Leviathan, but I love the fact that he's also an academic. Um, he, I, I have this image stuff. in my head of Peter Weller. It's just burned in there of him swinging a baseball bat with a bunch of nails stuck through it, trying to kill a giant rat. Yes. <laughs> of unknown origin. <laughs> yes, I, I think you gave that to me. I did. A strange rat movie. Just just to well, give you your, your Peter Weller fix. This band is the Hong Kong Cavaliers, and they got yep. the like the the sort of eighties tie and the weird winged guitars and sunglasses sort of motif going for it, which hasn't yep. aged well at all, but still put a smile on my face. Yep. John Lithgow just pulling out all of the stops. I remember, I remember watching his sitcom with my parents when I was a kid. He had that uh, Third Rock yeah. from the Sun or whatever show. Yeah. And thinking, man, Lithgow's just always at 11. He's always at 11. Well, if that's the case, he was at 15 for Buckaroo <laughs> Banzai. Like, his character is so hella fucked, and I'm 100% on board. <laughs> I love the fact that within the first 30 seconds of meeting him, we find out how he eats, and he proceeds to put sort of like, what would you call it, to his tongue and ears? Electrodes to his tongue. Some sort of electrodes get attached to his tongue and his ears, and he attaches it to a battery, and he has this flashback to help us sort of parse out his backstory. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The scene where he actually turns into, lovingly, Dr. Lazardo, I do believe that's the character's name. Yeah. When they're trying some sort of experiment that Peter Weller, well, sort of Bucker was successful with earlier in the movie. Uh, And they try, and it's the first time they break through the, into the eighth dimension. And there's a, basically a shot of John Lithgow sort of like back end trapped inside a wall (laughs) while the other one is in the other dimension. And that whole scene to me was quite hilarious. But in in a cool, cool construct, right? He's stuck between dimensions and whatever business he was encountering on the other side fucked him up for the rest of his life. (laughs) Like (laughs) he is so broken from it. Yes. It's it's great how everybody has like uh, an interesting part to play. Like either you're an alien, or you're an alien pretending to be a person, or you're a person that's so strange and out there that you might as well be an alien. Like Ellen Barkin yes. is uh, arguably the straight character, and there's nothing straight about her, right? No. <laughs> well, isn't she some sort of like reincarnation? He's the base. This weird reincarnation of. His dead ex-wife. Yeah, no. I understand. I agree. (laughs) Jeff Goldblum shows up in this movie. And this is, again, the last time we did Crazy 80s, it was with uh, Ashley Pachkowski. And we talked about Transylvania 6, 5000. And I talked about the whole series of Jeff Goldblum roles in the 80s where he seemed to be doing as little acting as possible in the movies. Like, he seriously showed up and read the lines in as deadpan a vogue as possible. He spends a good portion of this movie in a cowboy outfit. (laughs) Yeah, that that was one of the questions early on I asked in the movie, but then I realized, oh yeah, I'm watching a movie called Buckaroo Bonsai from the 8th Dimension. And that's what this movie relies on, really. It relies on you not asking any questions of it. (laughs) You just gotta keep going with it the dialogue is funny it's absurd the uh, story is hard to define but it kind of holds your interest in a crazy way there is just a cavalcade of faces like even in small parts throughout the movie you're always like hey that guy that guy like it seemed like people were kicking down the door to participate in this completely weird movie and at the end of the day you end up with this really bizarre stew now 
I think it's just so individual that it just commands attention, like that you should watch it. But at yeah. the same time, I have a hard time saying it's an amazing movie too. It like it's just oh, so strange. It's an amazing movie. It's the fact that it sort of exists. You know, makes me sort of you know happier that you know we live in a we live in a good world that this film film sort of exists. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've under-reviewed it a little bit, but like, it's a, a lot A lot of really cool ideas in it, a lot of really yeah. cool faces in it, deeply yeah. strange, deeply 80s. If yeah. there's any part of that stew that doesn't sound delicious to you, then I guess you can safely avoid. But if that sounds like a good deal to you, I say hop on board and, and enter the 8th dimension. <laughs> Um, well, I think one thing I, I do love about this movie is, uh, you know who W.D. Richter is, right? The director, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he's the one that also wrote Big Trouble in Little China. If you start sort of digging, he's sort of responsible for a lot of sort of, you know, good quirky uh, comedies, uh, comedies of the uh, of the 80s. Um, uh, he wrote the uh, 78 Body Snatchers. Yes, he did. That's yes, cool. Did. I didn't he know that. that. Fun this fact. This might be his last movie he ever makes within a studio, so they... And he wanted to test to see if the you know if the big wigs were actually watching the dailies of the movie. So they put a watermelon in the scene and not tell the actors about it, uh, and keep on going. And it made it into the movie. Um, he knew basically that he was making a movie that was almost going to be a, a commercial failure in some sort of way. And just the, the absurdity of making this whole sort of film. Uh, I can understand why he didn't make a movie in Hollywood for quite a long time afterwards. Yeah, Late for Dinner is the only other credit he has as a director, and I have never heard of it, to be honest. Um, but he's got a couple of interesting writing credits. Uh, he's credited for writing the adaptation of Needful Things, which I didn't say a lot of super kind things about, but there you go. <laughs> um, but again, yeah, like everybody in this in this movie is kind of interesting, and sort of so young and fresh, <laughs> you know? It's a, an interesting sort of timepiece of the 80s. And I think because it's a slickly produced thing that it, it's an easier watch than some of the lower budget numbers we're going to talk about later. Yeah. Like the, the edges are not quite as harsh. So it goes down easy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think one of these things that I, I love about it is, you know, this is sort of near the end of the Cold War, but it was still very much, uh, you know, on at this point. Um, there's a lot of uh, Cold War I, well, imagery, but also a sort of um, underlying context or subtext. Um, a lot of the jokes are, sort of deal uh, with the Cold War as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that that's in there, and I'm sure on my second, third, and fourth viewings of the films, I might get more out of it. But yeah. <laughs> honestly, watching it today, it, it, it's it's like... It's like almost watching an episode of The Muppet Show with like the craziest guest list you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and then you realize that you finished the episode and you're like, wait a minute, they forgot The Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this movie also has one of the best henchmen that, that I can think of in recent memory. I have to give a shout out to Christopher Lloyd for, for people who don't know who he is, shame on you. He's this great character actor. And he's given this. Uh, uh, who doesn't know Christopher Lloyd? Of, I think it's one of the best henchman names ever. Big Booty. Big Booty, yes. Big Booty. <laughs> um, which, of course, Dunlop gets to say over and over and over again. Um, the, the one part where, you know, they've obviously caught Ellen Barkin, and it's too bad that, you know, the third act, she's sort of. The Rescue Me Girl. 
Yeah, she's given basically into the damsel in distress role, and she's kidnapped. But uh, I think the line that uh, uh, Lithgow screams at, at um, Mr. Lloyd is this, Take her to the pit. Go, big booty. Use more honey. And when that line sort of slapped across, slapped across me um, when I was watching it, I laughed and I laughed and I laughed so hard because I was almost imagining what the hell is the honey for anyways. I like um, that they take themselves seriously within this absurd universe, too. Yes, that's part of, I think, the key to it. The key to it like, yeah. John Lithgow comes the closest to literally jumping out of the screen and saying, Ah, come on, you guys! But for the most part, no matter how ridiculous the scene, no matter how ridiculous the exchange, all of yeah. the actors are 100% on board. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, they, they came to work. Yeah, yeah they give you your money's worth, I think. I want this car. Jonathan Miller would never do anything to break the law. I need the keys. Thank you. Bye. He is a very fine, very honest gentleman. Something strange is happening to some ordinary people. Yeah, that's Jack. Real nice man. What do you do, rob a bank? He's a law-abiding taxpayer, minding his own business. Killed 12 people, wounded 23 more, stole six cars, most of them Ferraris. If anybody deserves to go that way, sure in the hell's him. I've worked homicide for 13 years. I have never seen anything like this. You trying to tell me that she's part of this? Step out of the car slow! Want answers, and I want them now. Explanation won't help you. So, I'm going to go on the record as saying that I'm not 100% on board with Kyle McLaughlin. Really? Okay. <laughs> okay. Fair well, enough. it's not that I like I hate Kyle McLaughlin or like that I think he sucks necessarily, but I don't understand why Kyle McLaughlin is regularly getting work while other people <laughs> don't get work. Like. Is there something super sexy about Kyle McLaughlin? Like, does he give in a performance that was so amazing that, like, you, you can't imagine anybody but Kyle McLaughlin delivering that role? Like, yeah. yeah, he was the center of Twin Peaks, but Twin Peaks was a fucking, like, completely absurd carnival circus, you know? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. uh, any part of that whole universe sort of you're infected by the weirdness but it wasn't about Kyle McLaughlin like the star of that show was David Lynch so my left-handed compliment will be that this is one of my favorite roles of Kyle McLaughlin that I've ever seen in this hidden movie Uh Uh, he plays an alien who is pretending to be a human being yes who is partnered up with Michael Nouri a badass totally 80s cop to help, I love the I love the fact that the character's name is very it's very much an eighties cop name, Tom Beck. <laughs> uh, yeah, he he is uh, he and Kyle McLaughlin are teamed up to try and stop this spree killer. Kyle McLaughlin's backstory is as like this the person had killed his partner, but yeah. the more we learn about Kyle McLaughlin and the more we see just how he behaves, the more this guy's not on the level, <laughs> and uh, the more we have to kind of wonder, you know, yeah. when are these beans going to spill? Yes, there's a hilarious scene where they're, of course, drinking in the in the one cop's house that I think should be noted and worthy, and it's a very Kyle McLaughlin leap sort of moment. Yeah, 
Um, so what I what works for me about the hidden a lot is the our adversary, this evil demonic or not demonic, sorry, it's alien creature that can so jump from body, body to body. Kind of creature, yeah. Yes. It's this huge slug worm that'll pop out of your face and then go into someone else's body and puppet it until the body's used up and moves on to the next. But you get the feeling like he's a world traveler. He's seen a lot. Yep. He has found Earth. And for whatever reason, he thinks, like, Earth is fucking awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> he loves fast cars. He loves rock and roll. He likes women. <laughs> and, like, and, he's just... And, and he the, loves violence. And he loves violence. And he just, like, he just lives like he's the Terminator without consequence. Because yeah. he's basically the Terminator and lives without consequence. Obviously, the Terminator was a huge influence on this movie, I think, as far as, you know, the aesthetic and the way the police angle of it is handled. Yeah. Um, oh, I think to, sim to simply dismiss The Hidden as just another cliched 80s testosterone B picture would not be fair. No, that's don't where it starts, wrong. though, right? Don't get me wrong. This film doesn't really have an original bone in its body. It wears its Terminator sort of invasion of the body snatchers action buddy, you know, comedy. Also with a little Starman to it. Yeah. Um, but what it does have and what I love about it, it has a very dark, dark heart and sense of humor. Yeah. There, there's a sort of nihilistic sort of evil, you know, um, comedy comedy to this movie that I haven't seen since basically Paul Bartel's Death Race 2000. Black comedy almost doesn't say it, hey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, it because it does exist in that dirty hairy Terminator aesthetic in the '80s cops kill without remorse aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's already in a kind of campy genre feel, and yeah. so the fact that we have a villain that so enjoys being a villain kind of yeah. works for me. In yeah. a way, the fish out of water humor subplot of the movie, which is charming enough, to me definitely is in the back seat. I I certainly like that less. Than the other yeah. movie that we're getting, yeah. like uh, seeing, like you say, Kyle MacLachlan come home to meet his partner's wife and uh, not know how to handle alcohol or how to take a Pepto Bismol tablet, or being way too revealing at the dinner table with the the, the topic of conversations. It's just like yeah. these excruciating, like fish out of water comedy things. Like usually, I would wag my finger at it and say, "What are you going to be?" Are you going to be this hard-ass action movie, or are you going to be a goofy comedy? But yeah. much like I was making excuses for Buckaroo Banzai, I'm going to side with the hidden here a little bit more. Like, yeah. they were trying things, and the tones weren't too extremely discordant. Because, like I say, there's something almost silly about the way the cops behave and interact with each other. Like, they all know they're on some kind of tacky cop show on some level, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's not completely out of the world. I can still enjoy the car chases and I can still enjoy the shootouts. Like there's reasonable enough stakes that I want the good guys to win. But I yep. think the main thing, the main focus of this movie, much like the alien is enjoying itself. That's yeah. what the people making this movie wants of the audience. They just want you to be having a good time while you're watching the hidden. And I do, I did in the eighties and I still do today. The real question is, is if you hadn't seen this movie in the 80s, if you just sat down in 2017 and watched The Hidden, do you think it holds up? Oh, I think I do. Um, I think the script is very, very strong from the scriptwriter, and I think Jack Schuller was a very capable director. I love the fact that he's made sort of two horror comedies that I love so much dearly <laughs> in the 80s. 
Um, I enjoy its dark, dark black heart. It's very nihilistic in its violence and violence and its humor. There is a scene, and it's kind of funny. It happens twice, and it's going to happen twice uh, in her podcast. Uh, we're talking about a scene where a sort of you know, a evil art villain at one point basically humps a person to death, <laughs> breaks them in half. Um, it's it's a very dark, dark, you, you know, dark, dark movie in a lot of ways that also makes you want to laugh out loud. Even the opening car chase sort of, it kind of gives you a clue where this movie is kind of going, where our villain basically, you know, starts rubbing off a bank and smiles, and this is done over the, over the opening credits, and then it has this out-of-control car chase through the city. <laughs> and at, some, at one point, drives into a park, and this is straight from Death Race 2000, proceeds to maul down a whole bunch of people in wheelchairs. And you just can't help but laugh at that. Yeah, it's not just a bunch of people walking through the park. It's helpless people in wheelchairs, right? Yes, and yet you laugh, and then you feel wrong for laughing. That's that's And you're not cheering for the bad guy here. You're just like, they went there. (laughs) They went there. Yeah. Um, Speaking of they went there, I'm trying to find the name of the actress. Claudia Christine, what is it? Yes, yes. One of the uh, unfortunate people that is a victim of this creature is this uh, stripper dancer. Was it Claudia Christian? Do you have it in front of you? Claudia Christian it was. So yeah, yeah. she gets possessed by this creature and yeah. slips the net. The, co- the cops don't see their coming. She walks by everyone. And it's, 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 a, you know, it's a really out there thing, but the outfit that she is wearing yeah. with like the ass cleavage... <laughs> Yes. Made me ashamed for being a human being. <laughs> like the fact that like nobody put the brakes on that. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't think that that actress sucks. I think that she did everything that the role asked her to do. But yeah. oh man, I felt bad for her. Like first she was objectified, then she was riddled with bullets. <laughs> like it was like this was not a good time. Like there are no good female <laughs> roles in this movie. Like well, none. She earned her paycheck. She definitely, yeah. She definitely, you know, knew what movie she was in and and, and delivered what she was supposed to deliver. But because <laughs> I kind of like that actress and I kind of like the idea, like this stripper who suddenly harnesses all this power and then like she's suddenly super badass for a little while. But it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth in the way that not a lot of the other scenes did. Most Fair of enough. this was fun. Most of this was well, like... I, I do think she gets one of the funniest scenes, though. I've already sort of alluded to it earlier, but I, I think it's kind of... I don't know. The scene where that John, that such, such slimy John, which, you know, very 80s dialogue comes up, and um, right he, away... She fucks him to death. He's, you know, this character's, kind of, like I said, a very Terminator Jason Voorhees, where a lot of you know people that you really don't like and want to see dead yeah. end up sort of, you know, dying a lot of ways. It is a slasher film in some ways. Yeah. Um, good character actors from the 80s. Uh, Clue Gallagher shows up in here. Ed O'Ross, yep. some people will recognize him as the main villain from Red Heat. Yep, yeah, that's true. Or the... Uh, uh, also, Chris Mulkey and Richard Brooks, uh, who was on Law & Order for a long, long time. Yeah. I always remember uh, that Ed O'Ross guy was in Six Feet Under as the Russian flower dude. Yeah. And uh, uh, well, I saw him interviewed when he had when he didn't have an accent when he was just like had a normal American accent. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like I almost always saw that actor playing a Russian for whatever reason. But yeah, well, a lot of he's oh, really good in the Warriors. Um, he also uh, was, was while well, he was the good villain in that sort of you know 
long lost eighties gem red heat yeah. as well. But uh like I say it's sort of full of those eighties faces that you know, again, if you love that decade and says I'm going to yeah. say that I think that if you're coming into The Hidden today, you'll probably like it. There might be some stuff yeah. that makes you roll your eyes a little bit. Some of it is a little yeah. bit saxophone 80s era. But yeah. um, for the most part, I think it does hold together still. And uh, you can watch it as a sort of empty, superficial, fun action movie, which is really all it's trying to be. Uh, good special effects for the era, too. All practical. That creature popping out of those uh, rubber faces, unmistakably. Uh, I will always take that over uh, a CGI effect. Uh, to, still to this day, give me that rubber. I will take the rubber maquette. Like, do it. Um, I, I, to me, like, the hidden sort of walks and talks like a thriller, but its dark, dark hyper-comedic heart elevates the sort of trashy B-movie delight from the usual slug that was coming for its time. Um, I don't know if you have the right temperament for it. I would recommend it. Uh, um, I, you know, it doesn't have a lot of wit and wit and charm to it. Um, and there's also a lot of this movie is very, very violent. Oh yes. Violence. That's what I say. It's sort of that, that, that time in the eighties where the action was hard R all the time. It was fucking Terminator. It was the hitcher. It was like yeah. unkillable bad guys. It was like uh, the police department were like, were taking serious losses in every movie. <laughs> Cops just died like to the left and right, like stormtroopers, you know, um, yeah. we've sort of entered an age where action movies, unless it's the fast and the furious or something like that, tend to pretend to exist in the real world. Whereas in yeah. the 80s, they weren't really that bothered about <laughs> existing in the real yeah, world. I think the politically correct would have a very hard time with this movie. Oh, for <laughs> sure. A little... yeah. It's again, like, it, it because of a product of its time, you kind of let it go. I, I don't know what, what more I, I can say. I, I kind of enjoyed this movie. It has, it, has, it has a really dark, nihilistic heart to it. Yep. Um, but um, I think it's a great, great B-movie. If you haven't seen it, I think you should check it out. From the director of Poltergeist and the writer of Alien comes a terrifying new film. I'm getting a very small radar cross-section. 150 miles long. EGR is confirmed. Tell them we have an artificial object out here. In the tale of Haley's Comet, there's something wrong. Something ancient. Something evil. Jesus. Houston, we have a problem. Something's happening to me. Something hungry that's brought to Earth. She's destroyed worlds. That girl was no girl. She was totally alien to this planet and our life form. And totally dangerous. Well, I was going to say, like, uh, I've spent some time in this podcast talking about Toby Hooper. And, uh... Yeah how I kind of think that he's largely overrated. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. how I understand that uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre deserves its sort of place in horror history, that it might almost be an accidental classic and that it was just a weird configuration of events that allowed this movie to, to take place. Yeah. Other than the Poltergeist, which a lot of people think Spielberg largely, largely ghost-directed, there's not a lot of high tent poles for me and Toby Hooper. So is this the movie, this movie Life Force? Is this the one that's going to turn me around? Is this the one that's going to explain to me why people bow at the author, at the altar of Toby Hooper? Because uh, uh, if so, we're in trouble, son. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Also troubling yeah. to me is the... I think the... Salem's Lot's, you know, fun and entertaining. <laughs> I guess. That TV version of Salem's Lot, that's right. we got to give yeah. him that. There's some good stuff in there. Um, yeah. The other thing is the presence of Dan O'Bannon. I like me some Dan O'Bannon. He wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead. And uh, he's contributed screenplays to some good movies. He has a screenplay credit on Alien. Um, yes. And generally I like him, but I also know that the man kind of was crazy. Uh, he's a very creative mind, very, you know, good storyteller. But the later into the 80s, I think the less marbles were rolling around in his head here. Mm-hmm. I can sort of see the exploitative angle to this. Like, I can get how the same guy who wrote Return of the Living Dead wrote this idea of space vampires. It's based on a novel, apparently, Space Vampires, which would have probably been a more honest title, at least, than Life Force. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it sort of hits the notes that, you know, there's monsters in it, there's zombies in it, there's uh, a naked woman in it for a large portion of the movie. Like, all of the stuff that are the key ingredients to an exploitation horror movie, which he likes to include in his movies unabashedly. And like I said, I say that as a fan. All of it is present here in Life Force. None of it works. I know. And no, it's... Well, if you want to really know how what went, what went wrong with this movie, you got to look at Menahan Golan and Yoram Globus. And like I said, check out that documentary. These two people were just basically, uh, you know, sort of super hypercharged, almost business salesmen that really loved making movies. But, you know, they would say yes and, you know, almost like six movies in a month kind of thing or all the time where um, – they, these two men, you know, ran this movie studio that was successful for what a good what ten, fifteen years. Yeah. Um, the, you know, just sort of, you know, at the drop of a hat. Yes, you know, we make that movie. We go and we shoot, we shoot, we shoot, we make this movie, and they were churning out all these movies like almost like once a month in a lot of ways. And they were all high profile things like Cobra and Masters of the Universe and shit like this, right? Like and they were over the top, baby. Yeah, over the top. Because we needed a trucker. What arm is it? Wrestling. Arm wrestling movie. We needed a trucker arm wrestling movie. Like, we needed Rhinestone. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened is that, you know, they were looking at uh, the box office spread uh, and then saw Poltergeist there. And, of course, you know, who had made it was but Toby Hooper, who was well into his, you know, drug and alcohol binge days at this point. So he was also a bit of a disaster. Um, I don't think that, you know, these these boys had actually read the book, uh, Space Vampires, it's what it's called. But if they had, they would realize that. They were making sort of a high gloss, a high gloss, well, very, you know, lots of money, big budget um, exploitation movie that it's really not that far off from a porno movie in a lot of ways. Well, it's a vampire movie, but the vampires are aliens instead of the traditional vampires. And uh, they can create these zombie-like offspring. I guess we haven't really adequately attempted the the plot. To explain this movie, but go ahead. We open in outer space. There's a spaceship that's chasing Haley's comet to investigate it. They find a craft in the tail of the comet. They investigate it. They find on board a bunch of dead bat creatures and and, uh, two male and one female. They look like human beings, perfectly preserved in these chambers, naked bodies. They bring them all back to Earth, but by the time the ship gets back to Earth, all of the crew is killed, and the captain yep. has ejected from the spaceship. They and bring soon the after, uh, an apocalypse. So yeah. Starts. So they bring the yeah they bring the vampires down to Earth. The vampires escape, 
the vampires escape and shit starts going bad is basically what's what's happening again like some of the ideas i can sort of see oh well there's a juxtaposition typically in these 80s slasher horror movies a man with a knife will be chasing a naked woman well in this movie a naked woman is going to be chasing all of the men right and And you can sort of say oh how you can say how edgy and how like oh that's a what's an interesting juxtaposition but in my heart and in my head to me, Dan O'Bannon and Toby Hooper just like the idea of having a naked chick on set all day. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but I think that they take themselves too seriously. That's my yes, big that's number one complaint. Movie, like, yeah, go ahead. if you're doing space vampires, which is what this is, just yeah. be with it. This is a cheesy B-movie. Let's have fun. There's nothing fun about the presentation. Like, I don't know. I imagine whenever they said cat, everybody just broke out laughing because of how ridiculous the the scenes were. But it's completely earnest. And it doesn't doesn't work at all. And in a way, heartbreaking again. uh, A lot of money was poured into this. Some of the special effects are fucking amazing. Still today, fucking amazing. But... Damn. Damn. I watched the director's cut of Life Force, I am not proud to say. And, like, again, I... I know I had, I brought this baggage of not being super on board with Toby Hooper, but I, I thought it could be measured out with Dan O'Bannon, right? Like, yeah. somewhere between the two, we're going to find this middle ground. And yeah. for me, no, Life Force is every bit the debacle that everyone says it is. It's a crazy 80s movie, but it's not even a fun crazy 80s movie. Despite the fact that there's naked vampires chasing people around and crazy special effects and like an early fun uh, performance from Patrick Stewart I found it a chore sort of 80s British actors that sort of you know come through this movie and quite quickly there's a lot of characters that come in and out and go yeah I I had to I watched it in three chunks I found it hard to sit through really really I love the fact there's sort of three sort of, you know, acts to this movie where one, it's an alien movie, and then it turns into Dracula, and then it turns into the zombie apocalypse movie towards the end. But this movie is sort of all over the place. Um, I think what, you know, one thing that doesn't work right off the bat, and this is to do with the main villain, of, you know, at least for sort of taking it any sort of seriously, and it's a very brave performance in a lot of ways from a 19-year-old young woman named Matilda Maine. Oh, she's only 19? But I think one of the hey. more, like, worst decisions, because you can't take it, take it seriously, is that she is naked. Like, just not even naked, like, just buck stark naked for and, 90% of her performance. Yes. And you and can't help but laugh. We're not overstating it. for laughing once again at the scene where she sort of walks out of that sort of police prison complex <laughs> and all the lines going that are said towards her is just such a ludicrous sequence in the movie. I mean, just they, any sort of real pathos. They would have to do so little. The they would have to do so little, Lee, to, to make me okay with this. Like, at all. I have yes. no problem with the nude female form. Uh, yeah. Part of the titillation, part of the sort of forbiddenness of the horror genre is its willingness to show us nudity right and yeah. i'm okay with that i'm okay with that but i think it's telling that her credit her imd credit is space girl like my issue is she doesn't even have a character she's kind of the main villain 
of the yeah. movie, but when she speaks, it's just all about, you know, seduction and, uh, you know, getting and the, consuming uh, and yes. You don't see a character there. You don't see anything frightening about her. You don't okay. see anything intimidating about her. Like, they needed to give her something. I think she's intimidating. Really? The, I think they needed to give her something other than she's naked and super powerful. I didn't okay. know who she was. I had no reason to, like, sympathize or or despise her. You know, like she was just woke up and started killing shit. Uh, in a way, she might as well have just been a special effect, which was practically the purpose she was playing in the movie. Look yeah. at this, like, fully naked woman for whatever reason. Like, if nothing else will keep your attention, that will. And yeah. it does. <laughs> like, it does. You don't see scenes like that a lot. This 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 woman just laying waste to all of these guys, stark naked. Like, uh, it's... Uh, impressive, but it's a B movie ridiculous thing. And again, yeah. because it's not being treated that way, you just ugh. I also wanted to talk about Steve Railsback, who plays uh, oh, Tom boy. Carlson. Yeah, I feel sorry for him. He is giving it a hundred and ten percent, and it's brutal. Yeah. It's yeah. brutal. Like maybe he's not a terrible actor, but to me, he comes off pretty rough here. Not yeah, that he has a lot of real great stuff to do, but again. Damn. <laughs> I know, I know, but I, the character is so poorly written and so weak and feeble that you can't, he's so annoying that you really can't connect or want to cheer for him at least. Yeah. He, he whines the entire movie in a lot of ways, and it's just, you know, grating to hear. Uh, he just doesn't make a really likable, affable hero, and again, so earnest in this completely ludicrous set. And this is a movie yeah. I should fucking be filming at the mouth about, Lee. There's zombies up in this bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Once you get infected by these energy vampires, you basically become a junkie energy thing like that. You slowly are, are wasting away in these cool-looking skeletal puppet monsters and spreading Thank you the to, disease. To John Dykstra for doing that, by the way. Yeah. Um, he's a great special effects person. No, and like again, like echoes of some of the amazing special effect works we saw in Return of the Living Dead, like with the half yeah. zombie, that kind of yeah. really lovingly created rod puppet. Thing I just I love that those types of special effects and I hate to see them wasted on such an empty movie. Uh, I want to give out a shout out to Patrick Stewart. He plays Doctor yep. Armstrong. They go to this uh, place uh, looking to talk to a specific patient that they or, yep. or a student that they think might have been infected by the creature, uh, but they get onto the fact that the creature is inside Patrick Stewart quite quickly. And again, yep. it's. A difficult thing to play because it's ridiculous, right? It's yeah. something that could come off really badly, but I think he does well with the role. It's one of the first times I remember seeing him. It was like this movie and Excalibur that I'd yeah. known him for until, uh, of course, Star Trek The Next Generation came about. It's a yeah. fine early role for him. I think it's interesting that it's set in London, that this huge production wasn't this like America-centric thing. But, I'm sure the anti-colonials would, you know, would cheer and applaud at the final act that London is left in smithereens. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be, would it be somehow too upsetting if it was New York City or Los Angeles? If it's London, it's still fun, <laughs> you know, at this yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the limeys. Let them become vampire zombie thingy rings. Yes. Um, what I can, I guess, cautiously recommend is, for the time it was made, yeah. a lot of money was poured into this movie. Like... The production, million, the production values are impressive. Nothing else is. 
I think the fact that the story is so absurd, which is why I think you know some some people high up hadn't quite read the text correctly or realized you know what exactly was. But I agree that the fact that so much production value went into this sort of whopping mess of a movie, I think another thing that, that hurts this movie so much is that you know they get actually really good, especially good British actors, who are trying so hard to make the story work, and the harder they try, the more awful the movie sort of becomes. Poor Peter Firth, he, he has to choke down lines like, Yes, uh, uh, I, I actually I can't believe that a naked woman can be walking you know, through the city or <laughs> destroying the city. And you realize he has to, he, he realized the sort of awful, awful stuff coming out of his mouth, and you just kind of you know yeah. I won't say the movie quite gives me sort of sensory issues. It it does classify as one of those movies that it's so bad it's good. But you think? We want to put it in a category, you know, with like Battlefield Earth or something. Uh, I don't know. This movie. Frank this movie Finley. Is Frank Finley plays Dr. Hans Falada, who sort of gives us a lot of the context about what he imagines these vampire beings to be. We see him a lot at the beginning of the movie, and then he largely disappears for the whole of the main plot. And then he shows yeah. up at the end, like he suddenly changed into a bad dude. And yeah. in a different movie, I would have cared, right? Like, that would have been, oh, shit, we liked him, right? And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy's back in the movie. Oh, he's bad now. Ugh. <laughs> it... I know, I know. It hurts, um, it hurts. The um, fact, yeah, I don't know. The fact that these actors are, are being so sort of melodramatic and uh, you know, intense. I kept on waiting for, like, um, what's his name from Fright Night? Chris Chris Sheridan to show up. Yeah. And instead of Prince, Prince Hubbard, you know, out and go, yes, and I okay powder. I bet my life on it. I wanted almost that kind of, I wouldn't say cheese, but sort of just, I don't know, weird love. Am I wrong to say that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, to me, bring it down a notch. Have some fucking fun with it. Like, uh, let it just be a cheesy as shit vampires from space movie and have a good time. I wasn't having a good time like this. It was like a, I thought I was supposed to really feel this in, this incoming doom, and I wasn't. And I'm somebody who will apologize for the crazy 80s. I'm somebody who loves the crazy 80s. And this should be right up my alley. And uh, yeah. if I do you a service, if, you know, just take my word for it. There's better movies to watch from the 80s than Life Force. You don't need to do it. You just that's, that's, don't. Well, well, that's harsh, but I have to agree with you. Which The version did you see, did it have like the, the Harry, Harry Mancini and the Michael Kamen? Uh, it was a mixed score, yeah. They, it was, uh... yeah, 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 yeah. That's another thing. It, it starts off as this big sort of like epic um, action film, and then he quickly turns into this sort of dark alien ripoff. The, the tone is so, sort of all over the place, and I think that's another thing that sort of kills it. It's weird because Toby Hooper can be a competent, or at least at one point was a very competent director. At least he could get you know a budget off the ground, and I think his Invaders from Mars isn't that isn't that bad either. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that again. I have good memories of it from when I was a kid, but I haven't seen it in you yeah. know a clearest perspective since. Um, we're kind of running long on <laughs> on this. I think the other disservice I did myself on Life Force was watching the director's cut. That yes. gave me an extra 15 minutes. I'm a sucker for director's cuts. I somehow imagine yeah. that it'll it'll fix everything now that we get the director's true vision. But I don't yeah. know what exactly the extra 15 minutes were, but there was nothing in here that salvaged it for me. Uh, please well, avoid. Both cuts, both cuts are terrible. 
Um, basically, uh, most of that new cut is basically at, at, the, uh, at the, uh, the spaceship. We see more of it, but that's just that's about it. No, in life force, anything more is less. Did you ever wonder what it would be like to be one of the last people on Earth? We're talking ghost town! Who would you see? There's nobody. I mean, there's nobody. What would you do? Hey, I'm sorry if the end of the world makes me a little nervous. Where would you go? The stars are up in! Well, get ready to find out, because the comet is coming into your orbit. The legal drinking age is now 10, but... You will need ID. Let's be real. It's the night of the comet. What do you give me if I come back? Texas. Night of the Comet. I'll be taking requests from all you teenage comet zombies. The night the teenagers ruled the world. Yeah! Night of the Comet. The burden of civilization is on us. Fiction, isn't it? Um, so we were talking about with Life Force, a movie that had uh, one of its real flaws was that it took itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. I think one of my big beefs with the uh, Night of the Comet is that it maybe doesn't take itself seriously enough. <laughs> uh, okay. I like the concept of this movie. I've always sort of liked the idea of all of a sudden waking up one day because of some calamity or another, in this case a comet passing by and turning everybody into piles of red dust. But a handful of people who happen to be sheltered under metal sheeting uh, manage to survive and have to make do in this new world. But because this movie is so 80s, a lot of the ideas that I think were actually super solid and in a way ahead of its time, the fact that it is two female leads and that they are proficient at living and surviving in a post-apocalyptic world and that they could be somewhat badass is kind of deflated by the fact that they have a whole scene where they go to the mall and party down. (laughs) Uh, All right. The the fact that the characters don't seem to ever fully wear the stakes of this catastrophic situation that they're living in, so that when we get to the second half of the movie where they do try to turn it into a little bit more of a straight adventure story... um, because it's been so goofy and so it, it just it's it's impossible for me to take this movie seriously at the end of the day and it's too bad because I think there's some good ideas here and I, I like there's stuff that I like about the movie but okay. I don't know that for me it 100% holds together well, I think well, this I is a movie that worked in the 80s but maybe doesn't work anymore yeah. well I agree I agree with you that the film doesn't kind of hold together for me it's the third act um, I took this movie as sort of, you know, a, a great satire, and at least for the first two thirds of it, it was. It's really totally taking the piss out of those eighty teens movies. In fact, so much so, um, and I have to give sort of a special shout out because Yas Whedon's a big fan of this movie, eh? Well, he's all um, about girl power, right? Yeah, um, the character of the younger sister. What's her, what's that character's name again? Samantha. Sorry. Samantha. Samantha, she's basically the main basis uh, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, but Whedon has gone on record saying that you know the, the biggest influence of that character is the Samantha character. Um, the fact that it's 
totally also making fun of, and I don't know if you were at all like this. And I, I in fact, I almost doubt it. Were you ever a mall rat, Larry? <laughs> uh, not a bunch. I mean, I hung out in a mall, but it wasn't my raison d'etre. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> because this movie is totally making fun of that sort of uh, culture anyways. Um, I laughed, you know, I, I know, I laughed so hard that, uh, I mean, these are characters that shout out, yeah, my daddy would have bought me an A, you know, an AK kind of thing. Yeah. Um, they, they're almost like weird, wild Republican girls that I sort of laughed and loved, loved them for the first two thirds of it. Uh, it does, it does kind of make this weird shift where, shift where it does take itself seriously in the third act with the whole scientific bun- bunker thing, and that to me is when the movie derails. And there's an, another aspect of the movie that we didn't really talk about that some of the people are affected strangely. I don't know if maybe you weren't uh, exactly under metal sheeting, but you were under some sort of kind of coverage or it affected you slower than everyone else. So yeah. we have, a, a, in a few occasions, these randomly aggressive villains that will show up. But mm-hmm. they seem to show up whenever the movie needs them to and then disappear whenever they don't. There's nothing really real or consistent about them. Again, the sequence in the mall, all the guys are like wearing sunglasses and leather and it's headbands and it sort of just becomes too comic to take seriously but i get like where at this time in the 80s the idea of two women who were capable of defending themselves and handling themselves that wouldn't just fall apart in the face of any kind of catastrophe was not as common you know the ripley figure was a big deal in aliens because it had practically never been seen before and uh, yeah. this is kind of baby steps to that, you know, like, but they're still at the end of the day, pretty chicky for me, or they have those really sort of eye rolling chicky moments every now and then. Yeah. Uh, there's also, and this is a personal note, but I can't not make it a character named Larry, who's a terrible person and gets killed off as a punchline. <laughs> so it's another movie that's guilty of that. Hollywood yes. continues to disrespect the name Larry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I can I, I now see where you were killed this day. Yeah, that was so. the thing that killed the movie for me. Okay. <clears throat> I can only imagine someone like John John Hughes, uh, a man responsible for some of the most intelligent uh, teen movies ever, sitting and watching this movie saying, this is why I make the movies that I do. It's what I would consider almost one of those anti-John Hughes movies where the teenagers are so stupid <laughs> that you have to see them to believe. I love the fact that our main character, what's her name basically Regina? again? The, the actor's name is Kathy Mary Stewart. Regina and, and Samantha are the two sisters. Regina's the right, older right, one. Right, right, right. She was also in uh, Last Starfighter. Yeah. She completely walks out of the movie theater you know, the morning after and walks past an ocean of clothes and does not register with her at all, completely oblivious, and walks down the alleyway. Um, I love the fact that our two lead characters are not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed, but they're very, very capable. Yeah. Um, they're raised by their dad. They're a little bit tomboy-y until they got to their, their teen years, and then all of a sudden they became, you know, these 80s yeah. mall fashion victims, which is, you know, yeah. where we were at at the time. Uh, this isn't one of those movies that I think is prime remake material. You know what, Yas Whedon, you love this movie? Remake this motherfucker. I will watch the yeah. shit out of that. It uh, also has one of the most sort of weirdest and also absurdly, absurdly kind of funny domestic violence scenes ever put on film. And it, and it comes really <laughs> early. You don't get it's, a lot of funny domestic violence, do you? <laughs> 
no, 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 you don't. Um, I, I have to give some context to this uh, to this scene. Basically, um, the younger sister, uh, not Re- is it Regina? Samantha's the younger Samantha, sister, right? Sorry, Samantha. Basically, Samantha has just been on the phone with Regina because Regina is trying to get out of you know working at her you know stepmom's party, who is the classic definition. What would you say? Stereotypically, gold digger. I don't know. Yeah, she's the wicked stepmother for both for the yeah, lack of better. Yeah, married to daddy, who's what nicknamed the general. We never do actually see the character. We sure talked about it a lot. No, everybody's red dust by about the ten minute mark in this movie. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, she has this exchange with the evil stepmother, uh, and the younger sister is clearly you know aware of what's going on. Is it with Larry or no? It's no, a different Todd. character. It's a different Todd, character. That's right, Todd, and has this line. Um, God, it's it's an asshole line. Um, you already have an asshole, Doris. You don't need Todd. And then she uh, slaps her. Yeah, it's, it's the stepmom starts to slap the younger sister. She responds in kind, and then the mother-in-law f- cold cocks this full out Dexter, like just up and you know s- smacks across the face with a with a right hook, and she's sent flying <laughs> and rolls and hits the back of her head and looks sort of you know sad and shocked at the whole experience and bloods you know, kind of going getting out of our mouth and this is in the middle of a party yeah. where other people are sort of, sort of stopped and watching all of this even though it's in another room um and at first i sort of you know laughed at nothing oh it's gonna be that kind of dark movie but then i felt so bad for laughing at it. it's like it, it produces this nervous laugh and but again it's it, this weird shift in the movie that you're just kind of jarred by it that's the thing about the movie i mean are we just supposed to take that scene seriously or aren't no, we're we not. the fact that we don't know or, or or if we're not i think makes us less easy to take it in the end there are scenes that if the movie was working seriously would work when this team of scientists we discover who are living underground come up to yeah. quote rescue some of them but we find out that they just want to mine some of the survivors for their blood to extend their own life yeah. um there's a scene where they take Samantha away from Regina in the helicopter. Yeah. Or, sorry, vice versa. They take Regina yeah. away from Samantha away in the helicopter. And they've been together for so long that they've, like, that that was a moment. It almost hit in the movie, but, like, in a, in a real sort of, you know, if a movie was taking itself seriously and it was, like, the end of the world, and this is the first yeah. time that they'd been separated since this adventure had started for them, I could see that moment really landing. And then when yeah. the, the little sister comes to save the day, you know, for once, saves her big sister instead of vice versa, uh, yeah. it, it would land more. I like Jeffrey Lewis, father of uh, Juliet Lewis, uh, and uh, Mary Warren of, as two of the scientists, uh, because yeah. when we first meet them, it seems like uh, the Jeffrey Lewis character is the good guy and the Mary Warrenoff character is the bad guy. But yeah. as the story progresses, we find out that it's actually the other way around. And yeah. I thought that was a pretty clever thing in a movie that didn't have a lot of clever things in it. Okay. But again, if I if if the movie was more serious, I might have been it might have, you know, landed better for me. Okay. Uh it's a cool ideas all bathed under that cool blue 80s sort of neon glaze. Yeah. I like the aesthetic and I like this sort of style of story. So I feel like I should like Night of the Comet more than I do. I understand it's cult status. But I think yeah. it's one of those movies that led to other better movies. And it's a significant yeah. movie because of it being a gateway drug to newer, better things. Okay. 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 I could be wrong. That's just one man's opinion. Okay. 
Um, I guess one of the things I, I sort of love about it because this is a very low, low budget movie. This movie, this movie was made for under a million dollars, and it made close to like twenty or twenty, I think, or twenty five million back. They, they they actually made a lot of mo- money on this movie. Sweet. Um, I don't know. Right off the bat, I sort of took it as a great sort of satire and taking the piss out of those old sort of you know nineteen fifties alien movies. Right off the bat, we knew we weren't going to be too serious with that sort of cheesy overtone, which is a clear homage to War of the Worlds. In fact, the first act of this movie sort of takes place in a radio station with a big sort of, huh? Mm-hmm. Huh? War of the Worlds, people. Of course we're doing that big sort of joke. I think another thing that might have hit me wrongly is that if you're going to make a post-apocalyptic satire about the consumer culture... Uh, okay. I hate to break it to you, that movie was made and it was called Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that might be other things like, uh, how cutting edge is it when it borrows almost like that entire wing of the movie from another movie entirely, right? Yeah. Oh, no, I don't think there's a lot of originality to this movie at all. What I like oh. is that it doesn't have the thing which Dawn of the Dead does, where yeah. the woman freezes. Her, her boyfriend's being attacked by a zombie. She's right there. He's reaching yeah. for a hammer, and she could help him. She could reach for the hammer and hand it to him, or pick yeah. up the hammer herself and smash the, the, the zombie. But she just stands there going, What am I? I, I just... Yeah, none of that. In, in Night of the Comet, these two girls find themselves in a terrible situation, and they find a way to make the best of it and survive. And that yeah. by itself earns it a lot of cred for a lot of people. But yeah. there's still a lot of movie around that that I think has some creaks and moans. Okay, okay, okay. Well, for me, like I said, the movie falls apart sort of in the third act, so I, I can't quite give it sort of, you know, this movie is great and go see it, so I can sort of understand your sort of trepidation to sort of really, really liking about it. I guess I love the first two thirds of it so much that, and I knew that it wasn't taken seriously. Um, but um, it does sort of, I don't know, it, it, I, I had a sort of almost, you know, the words, I actually said the words, I don't know, once the movie sort of, the end credits kind of came up. Yeah. Um, because it's just, there's something off about this movie. I don't know what it is. It's unique. I mean, you don't see a lot of movies like it. If you. Yeah. I, I also hated the fact we had that sort of cliched, uh, in, you know, jump scare uh, you know of the dream sequence that we see actually twice right you see that over and over and yeah. over again and I, it, it happens up in here so uh, and a cute boy shows up for Samantha just right before the credits roll so that she doesn't have course, to be which lonely. is of course the boy from you know who defeated her sixth place in the arcade whatever <laughs> the, the DMK whatever yeah you know, we, we, come, we, we have that sort of come full circle anyway um, like I guess what I would say, if this sounds intriguing to you, definitely check it out. I don't hate the movie, but I'm certainly not as enthusiastic about the movie as a lot of other people. I think that there are other better crazy 80 movies to see, but uh, if you're an aficionado, by all means, there's a high interest level to Night of the Comet, and I get it. I do. A full moon. A spooky, deserted mansion. Halloween night. All right, dudes! And it does. Let's party! Ten kids. All they want to do is raise a little hell. Now, as long as they live, 
they'll wonder what's gotten into them. Night of the Demons. Blessed be the sinners, for the Day of Atonement is at hand. So here's the thing about Night of the Demons. Yeah. Uh, the thing about Night of the Demons. This is not a good movie. Yeah. It's not a good movie. Yes. What it is is a bad movie that I like quite a bit. Okay. <laughs> like. I'm a little I, worried. <laughs> I've seen Return of the Living Dead a gabillion times. Like, I, I, I think that Return of the Living Dead is playing in some dark corner, some recess of my brain at all times, just in a loop. So every now and then I'm just like, oh, I will feel like watching Return of the Living Dead, but I can't do it anymore. So then I put in its scrappy, ugly little brother. <laughs> Night of the Demons. Um, okay. This is... The 80s aesthetic in as unconscious a way as as you can see it. Like a lot of movies we're seeing these days, directed by Ty West and other people that are set in the 80s, or throwbacks to the, the 80s, like that Lost After Dark movie, or uh, you know, yeah. The House of the Devil, where they're sort of trying to emulate this 80s style. Mm-hmm. This is that 80s style to such a perfect degree that, like, I think you could remake it not change a line of dialogue and they hire like it actually though yeah no i know well we'll talk about that if we want to but but you could remake it not change a line of dialogue and hire like the the most deplorable actors you could find and on okay. some level it would still stay afloat <laughs> the thing that kills the movie is the acting i think that the cast is pretty much uniformly terrible <laughs> in <Yeah>. this movie <laughs> like there's not a lot of bright spots that say, well, in a sea of shit, this dude shines out. <laughs> the asshole guy who I recognized from Heathers, at least I, I recognized that he'd made another movie eventually. Yeah. So good for him. Yeah. <laughs> but the aesthetic of a bunch of types, I'm not going to say characters, types, yeah. who go to a party on Halloween night and, uh, you know, have a seance and unleash some evil spirits who are then killed in this crazy special effects extravaganza while all doing completely idiotic, counterproductive things and looking so ridiculously and campily and hilariously 80s. Like, this is that movie. This is the movie that all those other movies are making fun of or paying tribute to or emulating or loving or hating or whatever it is. But, like... If you want the real deal, if you want to know what a really cheesy, good, bad 80s movie looks and sounds like, that is Night of the Demons. It really is. So, am I going to sit here and tell you guys Night of the Demons is a good movie? No, I'm not. But I'm going to say I laughed out loud while I watched it, and I enjoyed myself because of just, like, the holy shit, you guys, kind of... experience that i had it's quick it's fun it's exploitive it's got decent special effects and i think for like a halloween night like let's let's see some 80s legit it does the job good no fun yes 
that's okay. sort of my review of Night of the Demons. But I have okay. the feeling that you're going to be saying some different things. <laughs> I don't know, Larry. It's been a while since I actually was sort of cursing your name as I was watching this movie. This is what happens, Larry. This is what happens when you make me watch Night of the Demons. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I, I won't say it's the worst movie on this list, but it definitely rates some ire. There was one of the characters aptly named Stooge that every time he spoke, I was starting to have sensory issues that very early on, I was like cheering for it. I was clearly on Team Demon, you know, for let, letting a lot of these characters leave the movie and with great speed and haste. He's got like a crew cut and he's dressed as a pig. He gives us no reason to like him. <laughs> right? and, and he ends every line with, Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> right off the bat, you're just like, oh, oh, I want you to die. Please die. Um, no, I mean, I, I love, I, I can understand why you would like this movie. I mean, it has, you know, all the charms of the set of 80 slasher monster movie. Um, you know, these teens, you know, out for a good time and, you know, they want to party. <laughs> but a lot of these sort of, the red shirts, if you will, because I agree, they're not characters, are so grating that <laughs> you, you just... Please. It didn't become unintentionally hilarious to you at any point. <laughs> like honestly, <laughs> I, like um, the 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 black dude who seemed to be the only person who was like, "You it's guys, like a movie. this no, is ridiculous." And like he he kept on trying to scale the wall and find a way out of it. It's like the one sane person, and no one's yeah. giving him any fucking credit for this. Um, yeah. The uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name? I'm trying to Sal. This this guy played by Billy Gallo is this weird archetype character that we seem to see a lot in the eighties. Is that kind of like Italian guy? Hey, eh? I'm 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 your buddy Sal. It's like Doogie he's Howser's best friend he's or the Fonz, yeah. Uh, but like he's such an asshole. He's clearly this stalker dick face, and that's yeah. as close as we get to a heroic figure <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> um. The other character to talk about, I think, is Suzanne, played by Linnea Quigley. Oh, my God. In a, in a movie full of terrible performances, Linnea Quigley <laughs> shines out especially as being terrible. We Why does Linnea Quigley's name kind of ring a bell? Well, she's in Return of the Living Dead. She yes, does the striptease. She's actually a scream queen. Yeah. She does the striptease in the graveyard, which is that scene that I kind of don't know how to take in Return of the Living Dead. But it's 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 there. It's it's hard to miss. And uh, basically, she got cast in horror movies in the 80s because she was enthusiastic about doing nudity. Like, not only would she do nudity, but she was, like, all about it. She's totally okay with being naked. <laughs> like, And uh, why shouldn't she be? She's a very beautiful person, but... That's why she's in the movie, for just scenes where she is brutally sexualized. And I yep. said a similar thing when, when Matt and I were actually talking about Piranha. If this movie was made today, like, for instance, the remake of this movie that they made a few years ago, it's mm -hmm. so crass and horrible. It's still crass and horrible because it's in the 80s, but because it didn't know no better, <laughs> because it was in the age before the internet, where you didn't see shit like that, right? Like, it was part of the exploitation narrative of the movie that everything will stop for some titty, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, 
And uh, is that good? No, it's terribly exploitive, but it's also kind of hilarious. <laughs> like, that is what you did in 80s movies. Like, there's so many other worse movies than this and better movies than this in the 80s but that the, the would have these scenes in it, you know? Here's this character that is here so that you can just drool over her titties. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I will, I will give it credit. It has one of the most absurd scenes I've seen in a horror movie in a little while. The scene where she puts lipstick all over her body. Yes. And then, and then proceeds to, like, put it in, into her right breast and it disappears. She stabs the lipstick movie. into her breast. And uh, yes. it's it's a it's strange moment in the movie. But uh, her possession was... Uh, possessed her in a specific way so that they could incorporate her nudity into the possession, which I guess somebody was <laughs> doing something there. Um, there is another hilarious scene where one of the possessed character does a dance number. <laughs> like it's this. so bad to choreograph, <laughs> yes. Our main villain, Angela, apparently had to work with this intuitive dancer for, I don't know, like how long. The movie took barely three weeks to make, but she does this really awful put together dance choreography where to me you just sort of cringe and giggle at the same well, that's time that's exactly right like it's got to be one of two things right it's got to either be super sensual and sexy this sort of seduction like uh luring yeah. you in sort of siren dance or it's got to be scary and intimidating like have her do things that shouldn't be possible or have her like uh, fucking wolf out or something it's just yeah. amazing how neither of those things happen at any point. And the scene just keeps on going on. And again, it's like a Monty Python sketch where, like, they say something and then it's funny. And then they say it again and then you get irritated and they say it again and then you get really irritated. And then they say it again and you're like, fuck you, sketch, I hate you. And then yeah. they say it again and it turns around and becomes fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, I came out the other side. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> This is amazing. This is amazing. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I can understand your appeal to it. Um, It's wonderfully trashy. Um, You can even see the skateboard. Our villain goes down the hallways for these, like, you know, long tracking shots and sequences of the movie where Angela is clearly possessed. Yeah. And you can clearly see the skateboard very um, quickly at certain points. It it has this sort of Ed Wood appeal to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, But it's it's so vulgar and grating on on some levels that I, I, I... Dude, this is a movie where... I wasn't quite sure, even from the opening credits, with the, you know, the the cheesy synth and the the animation going, okay. Uh Look, this is a movie, okay? Just to take it out of its face value. Where after the creepy seance, where something, like, supernaturally clearly happened in front of everybody. Yeah. Like, unmistakably. After that happens, the group separates... Two people go into yep. one room to have sex in a coffin. Yes. <laughs> like, you would think this is a Mel Brooks fucking parody, right? You'd think, like, that this was a movie paying tribute to the silly 80s come, but it's not. It's yep. the real deal. And its authenticity warrants some measure of respect, <laughs> I think. Like, again, not good fun. It was a night like any other night. Then, something happened. You see that? Something different. 
There's no shooting star. Why here? Why now? Why clowns? They've been knocking him dead all over the universe. What are you gonna do? Knock my block off? Soon they'll be doing it at a theater near you. Killer clowns from outer space. So uh, I'm gonna start with the positives on killer clowns from outer space. Okay. Here's the stuff that uh, I can respect. These Kyoto brothers, the the guys who produced, wrote, and directed, and created the clowns, they've, they've, they're a bunch of guys that mainly do special effects and like making masks and stuff like this. They're yeah. not Hollywood people at all. They're just a yeah. bunch of guys who liked making crazy Halloween masks and designing these alien clowns who decided yeah. to build a movie around these things. And yeah. they really had all these crazy clown characters, and they plug them into a movie. Yeah. So yeah, when you're talking about a movie called Killer Clowns from Outer Space, all inexplicably spelled with K's, uh, it's a snakes on a plane kind of environment. It's an is what yes. it is movie. You know, you're going to go with this premise or you're going to fight the premise and not have any fun with it. Yeah. So I like the clown designs. I like that they're outsiders and I like that they're taking a big swing. I think that it was a mistake to make this a PG movie. Okay. I think that this could have actually been an albeit absurd, but kind of frightening movie. There's little teases. There's little teases of how this could work. Like there's a scene that I absolutely love where there's a little girl in a fast food restaurant. Going into that scene right away. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, the little girl sees the clown in the parking lot and he's sort of waving her finger at her and telling her to come out. And she's yeah. charmed and she's almost about to go, but she gets dragged away by her parents at the last second. But we can yeah. see that behind the clown's back, he's holding this big, huge cartoon sized mallet that he yeah. was going to smash that little girl with. And I found it was moments like that, moments where it hinted at a darker movie that I yeah. kind of connected with. The asshole sheriff that we, we don't like, uh, Lumi. John like, Vernon, yes. Yeah. When, when one of the clowns actually shoves its hand into his back and uses yeah. him as like a ventriloquist dummy, like yeah. there's something pretty, again, absurd, but kind of horrifying about it. Well, the lines that come out of him are pretty terrifying. Yeah. Uh, all we want to do. Is just kill. kill you exactly. Yeah, but when we get into like the brothers that have the ice cream truck, and when we well, get into they're, they're so annoying and are not needed. Actually. Yeah, and when we get into our two heroes, like and their interactions, uh, it's sort of this sort of goofy, bumbly B movie. It's definitely got the tone right in the way like that. Space vampires yeah. or life force didn't have yeah. any fun with it. They're definitely having fun with it. But I think yeah. that, that they could have given this movie just a little bit more teeth. Just yeah. a little bit more teeth. And I could be more enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's all about the aesthetic and the design. I love the way the clowns look. But yeah. I don't particularly love the screenplay or the cast. Okay. Um, 
but I think there's enough here for, again, an is-what-it-is experience to say, if you're intrigued at the idea of killer clowns from outer space, well, here it is for you. Where do you land on it? Well, I I think what makes it... um... What makes the movie work is also part of um, what also sort of hurts the movie as well. Um, it, it's trying so hard to be a cult movie, um, much um, much in sort of the same in the same vein as I, I don't know, like the killer um, attack of the killer tomatoes. Right. Um, the Kyoto Brothers, uh, of course, uh, were known for their um, set pieces and special effects. They were also responsible for creating the critters. Uh, creatures from the Critter movie series. Right. So they had some pedigree. A lot of the jokes are sort of visual gags. Yeah. Uh, and I just sort of uh, think if they'd kind of gone uh, a little more, a little more wit and a bit, uh, quite more absurdity, um, this film could sort of reach the uh, sort of upper echelons uh, uh, of you know black comedy. Almost the same vein as Black Sheep. Yeah, know. I was. I, I agree that, you I agree pulled that that, that right out of my fucking head, Lee. I was gonna say they should like approach it like Black Sheep. It's crazy, but we don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I think the lines needed to be sort of you know zip more instead of we get just the terrible trashy dialogue that we would associate with these sort of you know wacky movies. It's almost like they need like the Zucker Brothers needed to come together with the filmmaker who made Killer Tomatoes. And just because that movie had jokes a mile a minute, where a lot of the visual gags sort of take a little bit to sort of wind up and have. I mean, there's little chuckles, especially the sort of like that, that mini sort of trampoline that the clowns have trying to get our hair when they jump out the window. <laughs> that made me sort of giggle. And, and like the weirdly obvious stuff, the popcorn guns, the fact that they turn people into balloons and cotton candy and stuff like that. Uh, it's kitschy and fun, but I think, again, there could have been an edge to it. The idea that she was going to slowly suffocate within that balloon is kind of, you know, could be kind of creepy. The idea well, that the cotton candy webbing slowly melts you could be kind of... digest them, and they, then they drink from it. I mean, I, I like that angle from it. But they couldn't uh, quite, because of the PG aesthetic, pull the trigger on that quite completely, right? Yeah. Uh, I love the inner... I love the inner design and the map paintings of the, of the spaceship as well i like the concept that uh you know a circus tent could be used uh, as an alien ship and the inside of it yeah um i'm sort of enjoyed for two million dollars this movie actually looks wonderfully impressive well that's when you have special effects people making the movie i bet you it cost way more than two million dollars but they didn't charge themselves for the hundreds and thousands of hours of uh, you know work they did making those suits you know yeah um, yeah. the suits are really a large part of what does it for me. But, uh, again, I don't want to ask too hard a questions about, uh, killer clowns from outer space, but do they look like clowns as a way to lull us into a soul, you know, false sense of security or like they yeah. think that we won't be scared of them or do they just happen to look like clowns? Uh, yeah. you know, do they, are they trying to look cheerful, but they just can't help, but their evil seeps through the cheerful guys. Like, yeah. uh, and again, maybe if the movie stopped to answer those questions, you know, it would, we just, the wheels would be spinning. I want to talk about a redemptive performance that is given in this movie. Okay. Once upon a time, Mr. Lee Beckman and your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons reviewed quite savagely and deservedly so a film called Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Okay. And we singled out Suzanne Snyder as being absolutely terrible. 
She was the girlfriend who just couldn't stop screaming in that yep. movie. She plays Susan, or sorry, she plays Debbie Stone, the heroine in this movie. Yes. And she's got an equally ludicrous premise to deal with here, but does so much better than she did in Return of the Living Dead Part 2. It was yeah. only a year or two later, but she's a lot more comfortable in front of the camera. <laughs> so uh, I just, I don't like totally being mean to people on the podcast, so I'm happy yeah. to say that though I might not have cast her in the movie, she got cast in this movie and she didn't suck in it. So, redemption, Susan Snyder. You <laughs> uh, you're, all, you're being very, very sweet. Um, I think what, what what makes this movie good but not great, and I, I'm coming back to it again, is like like I said, a lot of the gags end up being sort of visual gags. So the 13-year-old boy out there, and especially in me, would be like, yay, and laugh really hard, because I think that's where the humor kind of lands in a lot of ways. Um, but the fact that um, for every joke that, or every gag that works, is about five that don't. So there's sort of crickets uh, that kind of hit along the way. Um, the Looney style, the, the, the Looney Tune style makes me sort of giggle a whole bunch. But the fact that the gags weren't coming, almost like I said, right on top of each other, you know, every sort of, you know, a mile a minute. I think that's um, where they sort of expose themselves as not really being filmmakers. They're yeah. good at the special effects. They're good at showing us and presenting us these clowns. But as far as setting up the clowns or playing those moments or the yeah. idea of timing them out, like you say, so that like there's a, a little bit more energy to the proceedings. Because yes. it does light up. Every time I see a clown on screen, things start to happen for me. <laughs> Um, and I was weirdly charmed by the old coot at the beginning of the movie who sees yes. the clowns land and is like, Oh, tarnation, what the darn heck is this about? Talking to his old hound dog. <laughs> like, I laughed so hard. If you see it again, um, like I said, and there's a lot of mistakes that are um, they're not deliberate. When, when that grandpa actually comes out of the house the second time with his shotgun, you can actually see the prop master hand him the gun <laughs> as he goes out. And I was like, wait. Wait a second and hit rewind, and sure enough, it's there. Yeah, that that made me laugh pretty hard. Um, little details like the popcorn guns that they fired. If you get popcorn stuck on your clothes, they're like little seeds. They slowly grow into other killer clowns. <laughs> the baby clowns, yeah, no, they're actually really. That was really really good puppets they used there. And it like weirdly creepy scene, <laughs> you know, like it pops out of the hamper so randomly. Yeah. Uh, or drags you into a big bale of garbage. That was the other one. This is kind of the middle ground again between like, uh, it's not bad in the way that Night of the Demons was bad. Yeah. But it's not as charming to the same degree as like Buckaroo Banzai was. Yeah. So it sort of somewhere falls in that middle spectrum there. Yeah. Um, I think it just falls on the wrong side of clever for me. That's sort of like the ultimate, you know, end game I have for, for this movie is that, well, yeah, um, once again, because the jokes are so far apart and it needed a lot, a lot more wit to it, um, it, it just stops it from being ultimately great. It becomes sort of, I don't know, middle ground. Right. Well, and it's in a we'll see holding pattern for me right now. Like, because it's old, I've got a nostalgic love for it, but I don't know. But apparently the Kyoto brothers are going to try and reinvent this. 
Yes. There's, we're getting a sequel. We're getting a sequel in 3D, and if that does well, they want to uh, do another one after that and make it a Killer Clowns trilogy. I don't know if it's too late. I don't know if maybe they've learned enough in the 30 years in the in-between. I don't know what this new Killer Clowns movie will look like. But again, um, I'm charmed enough by it to say, sure, have a look at Killer Clowns from Outer Space. But I'm tempering that by saying... You know, I'm happy this film exists in my library. I'll say that. Yeah, like when the moon hits you to watch this movie, you'll know, and then then it'll be the time to watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space. But if you're gonna put up any kind of fight with this movie, then I, I think if you're resistant to it in any way, it may fall apart in your hands fairly quickly. But you know, sometimes you're in the mood to watch a goofy movie. Uh, I I don't think I properly stated how much I disliked the Terenzi brothers. Yes. Uh, anytime they're in the movie which they, they have more to do with the movie the later into it we get they're not funny or charming so <laughs> I don't care if their lives are in danger and I'm not laughing when they're giving the wacky things and they have sex with female clowns Ew. yeah and they're trying to seduce these two fat girls by giving them free ice cream and that's not as funny as they seem to think it is and like yeah. uh yeah, so I my 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 number one note to the Kyoto Brothers if they're really gonna do this sequel, it's got a page on IMDb credited for 2018. I really hope that the Renzi Brothers are not involved. I hope that you have a 100% new cast, make a new Killer Clowns movie for a new generation, and hey, what the hell? Maybe try and push the boundaries. Maybe make it a little edgier. But uh, Fair you know Fair me, enough. you know me, Lee. Chances are, if they chum the waters with Killer Clowns 2, sooner or later, like the fucking slave to the genre that I am, I will watch it. <laughs> I, will, I will do so lovingly and with a bounce, my friend. I, I kind of like this movie. Um, it it could have been great, but it, it, it does make me smile, and, and I'm happy that I own it in my collection. <laughs> I kind of like this movie, raves Lee Beckman. So thank you, Mr. Beckman, for once again joining me for uh, Rank and Review, uh, all well, the way from me. far off romantic Regina, Saskatchewan. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know I've got you up past your bedtime. <laughs> what, do you got a sign saying stop? Yes, stop the madness. <laughs> stop the madness, Larry. Well, I can't stop the madness because we're talking about the crazy 80s and the episode ain't over yet. We got yeah. some ranks to do, my friend. Uh, All right, bring it on. I don't know if you found the ranks particularly difficult. Like, uh, I think that the order kind of found its way to where it made sense to me, but like, it wasn't immediately obvious. There was stuff that I didn't like. There was stuff that I liked, but uh, I have such a, a amount of personal charm towards this decade. Like, I... I, I like me a crazy 80s movie more than a lot of people do. So I think I was a little gentler to some of these movies than, than especially some people who didn't grow up in the 80s would be. I'm happy that these movies exist. I'll say that each one of these films make me smile in some sort of way. So I can understand it, my friend. I understand. Well, Mr. Beckman, on this, the 96th episode of Rankin Review, what was your least favorite crazy 80s movie and why? Well, I think... I think, no surprise, I'm going to put 
Toby Hooper's complete epic disaster masterpiece, Life Force, <laughs> at number six. The fact that everyone tries so hard hurts the movie so even more in such a ludicrous script. I honestly don't think, you know, some people had read the idea, and, uh, or at least read the story and kind of thought, wait a second, maybe we shouldn't have this choice. This Just choice, two, this choice. two basic questions, you guys. Yeah. What is your movie, and yeah. who is it for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like <agree>. start there. <laughs> Number five, um, I have a film that to me is like almost there, and that is Night of the Comet. Um, the first two thirds of it are really good and chuckleworthy and satirical, and then it becomes, I think, it, when it becomes too serious, it loses steam. Yeah. At number four. I have, and it's sort of schizophrenic in its quality, Night of the Demon, or is it Demons, plural? Night of the Demons, yeah. Demons, plural, yes. The red coats are so nauseating that they, I have is having sensory issues, but some of the, you know, the weird sort of gallows humor of the film makes me laugh, and I do like have a special shout out to that, our lead black character, who by all means clearly, you know, should be dead, but <laughs> managed to escape. Number three, a film that's, you know, good, but almost, almost great is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. The, the Kyoto Brothers, I think, you know, do well, and I'm curious to see if they actually do make a sequel. Some of the ideas are strong, um, but once again, it's the, it's, it's the visual gags that, you know, like I said, one hits and four don't. Yeah. Uh, and it should have been a lot more whiz-bang witty. It's like the Zucker Brothers should have made this, helped make this movie. At number two, we have the very black, blackly humored and insanely violent uh the hidden i, I love you know it walks and talks like a b-movie but it, uh it turns into this really sort of wonderful black satirical comedy that i think death race uh, 2000 would be very much at home with and last but not least the widely eccentric and I, this is a movie you know made by nerds for nerds that's the best way i would try to try and pitch this movie i can't even imagine how he would even like sort of <laughs> So this is my movie. Yeah, it's so beautifully absurd. It's almost like Tom Stoppard, you know, did one movie in Hollywood, and, and it should be this. Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai yeah. is so out there, and it it's is. the classic definition of Crady's '80s. So that, my friend, is the list. That's interesting. Like, it's almost like I know hipsters as we understand them didn't exist in the '80s. But doesn't yeah. Buckaroo Banzai feel like it was like the, an 80s movie made by a bunch of hipsters? <laughs> it's just something. I don't think they were hipsters. I honestly think they were like sort of geeky nerds going, eh, eh, no one's paying attention. There's actually whole science departments that are named after characters or things from Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah. I didn't even mention, was it, was it Perfect Dave as one of the characters? Perfect Dave. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, wow. So, before I do my ranking, I just want to congratulate you for being a champion of rank and review. Okay. You just won. Did I? Let that sink in. <laughs> Take that, bitch! I, I gotta say, I, like, I felt good like we were going to rank it, but after we had the reviews, I was like, I don't know. Maybe we're not, because you sounded like you were not feeling Night of the Demons at all. I was starting to think that that was going to get to the bottom, but no, no. no. I understood why you loved it, and it did make me laugh. Love is it a strong just, word. Love is a strong word. Stick, that character stick that just drove me up the wall. 
Um, I'm going to go through the ranks, but yes, you are a champion. You are owed a prize. I'm going to have to put something in the mail to the new rank and review champion, Mr. Right. Lee ah, Beckman. Ah. Our current champion is Paxton Francis. You have just oh. dethroned Paxton Francis. Yeah. Uh, I think it was episode 86 or something that he had it, too. He didn't have it for very long, so... Well, we're just passing around the, tro- the, the trophy like a... Like, like a like something. I finally popped my cherry. <laughs> you did it. So I swear, like, I felt it. Like, when when we sat down to do this, like, I, I'm sure when I listened to the introduction, I almost said, like, this is going to be the one, Lee. Like, I felt like it was going to happen. I, I feel like I yes. made this happen. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to go through my you list anyway. Your Jedi powers will I guess. I didn't cheat for you. I promise, dude. This was my list. So, uh... Here it is. I'm going to go through them anyway. We know what it is. But yes, in sixth place, the catastrophe of Life Force. I mean, I've referred to movies in the past as fascinating catastrophes, but I don't even think I will give this that. I just think it kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so much cool stuff in it. Like, the, the they spent money and some skilled special effects people worked really hard to make it look good. But damn... Yes, in fifth place is Night of the Comet. Take yourself a little bit more seriously. Dial back a little bit of the 80s cheese. I mean, I think that this could be remade into something quite interesting. The concept is there. The execution, a little wonky for me. Okay. In fourth place, yes, Night of the Demons. Is it good? Okay. No. Did I enjoy watching it? Absolutely, I did. <laughs> Absolutely, I did. Like, if I had to... Don't see the Blu-ray version of this, by the way, because the special effects look really, really bad, and, um, and they're accentuated, basically, oh. especially the, the infamous scene of her bearing, her teeth? bearing the lipstick. Oh, like I, I watched it on my DVD copy, and it, it looked fine to me. I mean, I, I could, I wasn't fooled by anything. I didn't think that really happened, but like, I yeah. think they looked like fun 80s special effects but i don't want to oversell the movie either like it's not fantastic by any stretch and the cast like almost uniformly not strong performances but if i had to choose like if someone said you either right now have to watch life force night of the comet or night of the demons sign me up for night of the demons it's it's in fourth place in third place some people might think it's overperforming killer clowns from outer space um, I think the clowns work in the movie, the humans less so. It's a little bit of a mixed bag, and I wish it wasn't PG, but the curiosity factor for this movie was high, and uh, yeah, sooner or later someone's going to say, today's the day for me, I'm watching Killer Clowns, so do it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of creativity in Killer Clowns that I think that should be mentioned, like just the design of the, you know, the weapons and the sets and... Uh, even the creatures themselves, uh, there is there is a lot of, of imagination that goes in. The clowns look so weird and puppety and almost like spitting imagery. Like, yeah. part of me just says, you know, somebody make a $10 million stop-motion animation version of this and make it as fucking dark as you possibly can. You'll lose yeah. all of your money, but I will watch the shit out of it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they made their money back. And hey, it has basically a balloon dog as a tracking device. You can't go wrong there. 
Uh, in second place, the tonally all over the place, but undoubtedly charming, The Hidden. I think it's a movie yes. that could only exist in the 80s. This is not one that I think would work necessarily being remade, but uh, I, I, I like it. I mean, it's <laughs> it's out there uh, in its premise, and uh, there's something about a villain that really enjoys being a villain. <laughs> you know, there's something about that alien that I kind of thought was cool. And number one, just because of how fucking insane it is, and a lot of it is just some of the faces in here that I love, and John Lithgow, and Christopher Lloyd, and Vincent Schiavelli, and like, just just an orgy of faces that I love, sort of young and in their prime, who all contribute to make this bizarre concoction, con- concoction called Buckaroo Banzai. And it has a really bizarre end credit sequence as well, but it's just <laughs> you have to see it to believe it. And, like, again, part of me says, why isn't there the continuing voyages of Banzai? I know that he's had many adventures before this and many adventures after this, but Banzai can only be what it was and is, and I encourage anyone who's in the crazy 80s to check it out. Um, and I will send your Banzai award to you in the mail. Current rank and review champion, Lee Beckman. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually happy for you, brother. I know I you've been feel, doing this I a lot. Complete. I feel complete. <laughs> I'm going to roll into bed tonight and have like fetus position. Going, yes. Oh, who are you kidding? You won't be able to sleep tonight, Lee. <laughs> You're just going to be too excited. <laughs> I finally did it after what? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know what number of episodes this is. You're like a regular player. And I knew that sooner or later it would happen. And somehow when you picked this list, I had a good feeling. Like, I made this happen. I feel like, oh, it's I'm, I'm happy. I know that Paxton's going to be disappointed, but I'm, I'm happy for you, brother. I know. I, I, I can now rest. <laughs> Can you going to be able to keep it a secret before, until it airs? Because it's going to be yes, a few I, months. I will say nothing. I will say nothing. <laughs> it's funny when uh, Paxton won. Like one of the first things he did was text Matt to say "fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, is there anything you'd like to say to the kids on the internet before we part company this night? I know it's well past your bedtime. Uh, no, I think I've already said too much. <laughs> I'm sure most people are like, dear God, let it in. Well, I'm sure we've not heard the last from Mr. Lee Beckman. episode 96 it's in the rearview mirror that wasn't so tough now was it and how about those movies crazy as hell yes no well uh you can't just shout at your ipad or your stereo or whatever you're listening to this at and and, and expect me to hear you so what you gotta do is you gotta write me feedback to rankinreview at gmail.com that's r-a-n-k-n-r-e-v-i-e-w at gmail.com you could also leave me a like or a comment on Facebook. That's a good way to make sure that I personally will see it. 
And if you were to leave a review, especially a four or five star review on iTunes, not only would I see it, but it would make me love you. It would make me love you a lot. Because that helps people to find the show. Thank you as always for listening to Rank and Review, and please continue to do so. Wait, wait.